weeks away. Okie dokie. Well, if you would, open your Bibles to the book of Judges, and we're in chapter 19, and the plan is to finish the book tonight, so it's three chapters, but um, uh, it's all one story, uh, and it really all goes together, so we'll probably spend a little time, be reading larger chunks of scripture here, but uh, we're going to looking to finish that up. So let's go before the Lord and we'll start verse one there. Father, again, we ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive all that you have to say to us tonight, Lord. Um, A a difficult portion of scripture to study through. It's not good. It's not nice. It's not fun. And it's, uh, you know, it's pretty, it's a, it's a pretty sad portion of scripture. But Lord, you left it in there for a reason. You want us to know, and there's things that you want us to, to glean and learn from. And so we pray that you would do that by your spirit in our hearts and our midst tonight, Lord, as we give our attention to your word, Lord. Now help us to focus, Lord, and put aside all those other things that have gone on and things that happened throughout the day to get us here. And uh, Lord, um, just fill us as you're so faithful to do, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we talked last week, these last five chapters are kind of an addition or an appendix, if you would. It really doesn't deal with any leader, judge, or hero, redeemer. Uh, it, it, it has to do with really the condition of the people during this 300 plus years uh, of the judges, this time before uh, a man comes on the scene named Samuel, who's really kind of a well, I guess they do kind of include him as the last judge, maybe, but kind of the first prophet as well. Um, so he has kind of a unique position, and then it'll transfer into uh, a monarchy where they'll have a king from then on until, well, they don't have one anymore. <laughs> and so, um, you know, what, what this does, I think that the Lord's doing, and it doesn't tell us when this happened. You know, could it happen at the beginning, at the middle, at the end? Um, it, it just gives us uh, the background of what the people were like, because we read they were up, they were down, and then they got saved, and you know the Lord brought a redeemer after they couldn't take it anymore, and so uh, you know we talked about last week uh, just the heart of the people in idolatry. The, the people from Dan didn't want to take the land the Lord gave them; they wanted to move. They just attacked some unsuspecting people just because the land looked pretty and it was easier to take, and there was. A lot less work than what the Lord had for them. We know they set up all the idols that they had in their house, but yet they were using the name of the Lord and talk about worshiping the Lord, but they were worshiping in, in, in their own way, you know, with idols and, and things that were completely contrary to the Lord, and yet they mixed the two together. And, and it just gives us an idea of that idolatry that was going on and the mix of, you know, a little bit of the Lord, a little bit of what we think, and a little bit of what people were doing in the land before we got there, and kind of combining it all and thinking, you know, making their own way. As we've read a number of times that, you know, everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. And now we'll get into the immorality of, of, of the times that they lived in. And so that's what these three chapters really discuss. And so let's um, again, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about um, wife abuse, if we would say it today. We're going to talk about blatant homosexuality, you know, 
gang raping leading to murder, uh, injustice, brother killing brother, kidnapping, all kinds of stuff like that. I mean, that's really what these three chapters entail. And, uh, you know, you read it and it kind of just hits you. But then, you know, you think about it, and it, that's something we see in the news every day, or, you know, or in our nation and around our area. It, you know, it's uh, all this is happening, um, uh, again, in some degree or other in the society we live in. So it's maybe shocking to read in the Bible, but the reality of it is, it's the result of what happens when people do what's right in their own eye. Do what they feel is right and they think that's okay and then they have their own morality. This is the standard and I follow what I believe. And, and, and of course, everybody's different and some are just pretty crazy. And, and you come, things happen like we read here and that's the crushing weight of sin in a society. So... Again, let's look at verse 1. It said, And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel. So, again, just telling us people did whatever they wanted. There was no uh, holds barred. There was whatever you think is good is good. Whatever you think is bad is bad. You know, whatever you thought. There was no standard or somebody to, to, to lead them. They, there was certainly no, uh, the Lord wasn't king leading him. That's the idea. He wanted to rule over them personally without a person being there, but they rejected that. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. And now the story that there was a certain Levite staying in the remote mountains of Ephraim, and he took for himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judea, or I'm sorry, in Judah. But his concubine played the harlot against him and went away from him to her father's house in Bethlehem in Judah, and was there for four whole months. Okay, so now we have a man, a, man, a Levite. So he was part of the, the, the temple, or in that case, the tabernacle worship. He was to serve the priests, help out with the offerings and sacrifices, and the, you know, taking care of it. That was his job. He was dedicated to be a servant of the Lord as a Levite. But you see here, he's, he's marrying somebody. They, they were supposed to really stay within the line there. He's kind of marrying somebody outside of it who was in Bethlehem of Judah. And he really didn't even make him his wife. She was a concubine. And a concubine was kind of a step down from a wife. And I can't really give you a good comparison because there's really not a good comparison. I, I think the closest thing that comes to my mind is like a, a man who's married but also has a mistress on the side that he supports and, uh, you know, provides a place for her to live or something like that. But it can imagine rather than having her live separate, she lives with them. So, um, again, why does he do this? Why does he have this concubine there? It doesn't tell us, but it, it's just not a good thing. And, and, again, he's from the hills up here, um, you know, in the mountains of Ephraim. You can see the mountains. It doesn't tell us exactly where it is, but she's from Bethlehem, and Bethlehem that, you know, Jesus will eventually be born in, right? Down here. So she's in, in, in Judah. He's from up here. This is where her home is. They got married. It doesn't give us any of the detail, but she's kind of a secondary wife. But she goes out and commits adultery. And, and uh, when, when she does that, she just leaves him. And it doesn't give us any detail. So, I, I, you know, I can't tell you anything more than what we read. But it seems like, you know, we have a Levite that's kind of doing his own thing. Um, again, he's marrying this woman, but doesn't want to give her a status as a full wife. 
And then she goes out and plays a harlot, which means she's committing adultery, right? And sleeping around. And some, you know, she took off and went to her dad's place. And she's been there for four months. That's, that's what we know so far, okay? Seems pretty messed up so far. Well, verse 3, Then the husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and to bring her back, having his servant and a couple of donkeys with him. So she brought him into her father's house and... When the father of the young woman saw him, he was glad to meet him. Now his father-in-law, the young woman's father, detained him, and he stayed with him three days. So they ate and drank and lodged there. So you have to give this guy some credit. He's going after her. Um, you know, uh, I, I, you know he, he wants to, to get her back, even though she's commit, uh, committed adultery. Now, her dad is happy to see him, obviously, for a number of reasons. One is committing adultery was a capital crime. You could be put to death for it. And obviously, this husband is not pursuing that avenue. So I imagine the dad's pretty happy about that to begin with. Uh, you know, it appears that they have never met before. So obviously, he met her somewhere and kind of married her and, uh, you know, never really met his father-in-law until now. And so, uh, you know, they they meet, the, the dad's happy. Again, another reason everybody wants to see their children's marriages work out, of course. You know, you want to see it all work out for the good. So I'm sure he was happy in that way as well. And so basically what he does is he just kind of just hangs out with him for three days. You know, hey, come and stay. Let's eat. Let's hang out. Probably get to know you. Um, and so they spend three days just, you know, we would just say hanging out. You know, they're... He made a little. He made a little vacation of it. We might say today, and so he's there for three days. And then verse five. Then it came to pass on the fourth day that they arose early in the morning, and he stood to depart. But the young woman's father said to his son-in-law, "Refresh your heart with a morsel of bread, and afterward you may go your way." Hey, let's let's have a good breakfast, and then you can go. So they sat down, and the two of them ate and drank together. Then the young woman's father said to the man. Please be content to stay all night and let your heart, heart be merry. And when the man stood to depart, his father-in-law urged him, so he lodged there again. So another day he gets up, hey, I got to go back. And he gets up early in the morning because it seems like it was about a day trip to go to where he lived. He gives him a big breakfast and says, hey, let's have a big breakfast before you go. They start eating and pretty soon time is going by. They're talking. It's getting late. Hey, why don't you spend the night? You know, you can leave tomorrow. You, you get the idea. He... He wanted him there, and it seems like he liked him and wanted to encourage him. Um, uh, then verse 8 says, um, Then he rose early in the morning on the fifth day to depart, but the young woman's father said, Please refresh your heart. So they delayed until afternoon, and both of them ate. So when the man stood to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, the young woman's father said to him, well, Look, the day is now drawing toward evening. Please spend the night. See, the day is coming to an end. Lodge here. Let your heart be merry, and tomorrow you may, uh, uh, tomorrow go your way early that you may get home. So again, the man wanted to leave. Um, you know, it's getting dark. Uh, you know, he, he's been there a little bit too long, but he still wants to, you know, uh, uh, make it home. But he realizes if he leaves now, he's going to have to spend the night somewhere between there and, and his home. And so... The guy, verse 10, he was not willing to, the Levite here was not willing to spend the night. So he arose and departed and came opposite 
uh, Jebus, which is, um, or Jebus, which is, that is Jerusalem. That's what they call it before they call Jerusalem. So he kind of takes off in the afternoon, even though he's going to have to spend the night somewhere. He still does that. And he realizes he has to stay somewhere. And he's coming to uh, Jebus, and, or what we'll know as Jerusalem. And with him were the two saddled donkeys. His concubine was also with him. So he had brought with him, remember, a servant, a young man to help him out, and two donkeys with him as well. Probably one for him to ride on and the other for his, his wife to ride on on the way back. And so, you know, they're, they're, they're doing that. Verse 11, uh, they were near uh, Jebus, or Jabus, and the day was far spent. And the servant said to his master, come, please, let us turn aside into this city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. But his master said to him, We will not turn aside here into the city of foreigners who are not of the children of Israel. We will go on to Gibeah. So he said to his servant, Come, let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night in Gibeah or Ramah. And they passed by and went their way, and the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. They turn aside and go to lodge in Gibeah. And when he went in, he sat in the open square of the city, for no one would take them into his house to spend the night. So he takes off later because his father-in-law's delayed him. And this Levite, you know, takes his wife. They hop on the donkeys. The servant's going. They're heading back. They're getting close to Jerusalem. And the servant said, hey, let's just, let's just spend the night there. The Levite says, I'm just not going to spend the night. Um, uh, you know, where there's not God's people. Again, uh, there was um, non-Jewish people still ruling that little city. We know that David will eventually make it the capital, and, and he'll drive all those people out, and the Jews will settle there from then on. But at this point, um, they, they haven't driven them out. We know that they did when they first came into the land, but they got back in there, and they never got them out after that. So the Levite says, you know, and understandably, those guys aren't, aren't our people. And who knows what's going to happen in that city. I'd rather go to where God's people are, which is a smart idea. Unfortunately, as we'll see, he'll be dead wrong. And just keep this in mind as we you know, read through this. I think one of the lessons is, you know, be careful of people that call themselves Christian or identify themselves as Christian, but... Um, uh, again, don't live, and their life doesn't reflect anything of being a Christian. Uh, they'll, they'll say those things with words, but uh, again, they're, uh, just because they say that doesn't mean that's what they are. And we'll see that's kind of the case as we go through here. Um, you'll see how bad it really will be there. And uh, they're supposed to be God's people. They're supposed to know better. They're supposed to... Um, you know, be hospitable. That was the law of Moses said, as you guys been with us studying through, you know, earlier in, in the Old Testament there, you know, there was all those laws that, hey, if you see a stranger, whether he's a foreigner or whether he's one of your own, you know, you're to, you're to take him in and, and help him out. Um, you're, there was no hotels at that time. So when people are traveling, uh, the Lord said, hey, you know, you see somebody there that, you know, you invite them in and you give them a place. You give them some shelter for the night. Um, you, you know, that's what you would you would do. That's what you were called to do, to be hospitable. It didn't matter if you they were Jewish people or non-Jewish people. 
The Lord told him to do that. And it seems like one of the customs was you would go into the city square there. People would realize you're not from that area and say, hey, hey, yeah, yeah, come on. I'll give you a place to stay for the night. And that's what this man is doing. But everybody's passing him by and nobody's inviting him in. So they just kind of wait there. And then verse 16, uh, just then an old man came in from his work in the field at evening who was also from the mountains of Ephraim. And he was staying in Gibeah, whereas the men of this place were Benjamites. So in other words, this guy was from, you know, the tribe of Ephraim, this this other group of people, uh, you know, that could follow their lineage up to a man named Ephraim. Uh, the place where he was was the area where the Benjam- people that for, were from Benjamites or were from the man named Benjamin. They could follow their lineages all the way back to this man named uh, Benjamin. So he sees him, and, uh, and now he raises his eyes and saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, well, where are you going and where do you come from? And so he said to him, well, we are passing from Bethlehem in Judah toward the remote mountains of Ephraim. I am from there. I went to Bethlehem in Judah, and now I'm going to the house of the Lord. But there is no one who will take me into his house. Although I have both straw and fodder for our donkeys and bread and wine for myself, for your, uh, for your female servant and for your young man who is with uh, your servant, there is no lack of anything. And the old man said, well, peace be with you. However, let all your needs be my responsibility only he did not spend the night in the open square. So he brought him into his house and gave him fodder, uh, gave fodder to the donkeys, and they washed their feet and ate and drank. So finally, this man, who was actually from kind of the same uh, lineage, you know, the same family uh, as he was, invites him in. Uh, the, the Levite says, hey, I, I don't need anything. I just want some shelter. I got food for, for the animals. I got food for me and everybody with me. I don't need anything. I just like some shelter. And the old man says, oh, yeah, no problem. Come on in, and I'll, I'll, don't worry. I'll take care of everything. I mean, he's doing what, what he was supposed to do. And uh, he's showing hosp- hospitality again towards these three people. Okay, so you guys kind of got the whole deal now. Is it all kind of clear? You got this Levite that lived up there. We don't know his name. His, his concubine, his wife, we'll call him, because they were married, but it wasn't the same kind of position as, as a regular wife. She goes out, you know, and sleeping around somehow, goes back to her dad's place. The husband comes and gets her and kind of works things out. They're heading back home. It's late, so they have to stop into a city. They finally stop in a Jewish city of of Gibeah, and they're spending the night there in in somebody's house that had opened their door to him. And he happened to be a guy that wasn't really from that place originally, although he was living there then. Okay? Now... What happens next sounds exactly like something we studied in Genesis. And let's see if it jogs your memory. Verse 22. And as they were enjoying themselves, so they were all in the house, the old man, they were talking and probably having a good time there, you know, just talking and uh, getting to know each other. Suddenly, certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house and beat on the door. They spoke to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring out the man who came to your house, that we may know him carnally. That means have sex with him, make that clear, if that's not clear to you. But the man, the master of the house, went out 
to them and said, No, my brethren, I beg you, do not act so wickedly. Seeing this man has come into my house, do not commit this outrage. Look, here is my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Let me bring them out uh, out, out uh, now. Humble them and do with them as you please. But to this man, do not do such a vile thing. Verse 25, but the men would not heed him. So the man, that's the Levite now, took his concubine and brought her out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until morning. And when the day began to break, they let her go. Then the woman came as the day was dawning and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was till it was light. Then her master, again, that's the Levite, arose in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way. There was his concubine fallen at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, get up, let's get going. But there was no answer. So the man lifted her into the don- onto the donkey and the man got up and went to his place. When he entered his house, he took a knife, lay hold of his concubine and divided her into 12 pieces, limb by limb, and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. So it was, all who saw it said, No such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, confer, and speak up. All I can say is, wow. (laughs) I mean, reading that is pretty crazy. And really, it's nothing short of what happened way back in Genesis with Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, uh, the angels came into town, and, and then you know that night, you know, they came to Lot's house and they wanted to knock down the door, and and uh, you know, Lot wanted to offer up his daughters, you know, just like this guy and these guys did, and um, you, you know, it, it was just crazy. Uh, we see that, that this city and these people were in the same condition, really, as Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, uh, not only do we see the sin of, of homosexuality in this city, but we also see the sin of these guys that were in the house. I mean, one was willing to give his young daughter to these guys, and the Levite, who he just went to get from her dad's house, he's willing to throw her out there to the wolves, too. Um, again, um, just horrific, deviant, evil acts that were going on amongst God's people that, that should have known better. It's pretty horrific stuff. You know, as the world gets more evil and evil, it's just going to get more and more, you know, this way where people just, you know, the hearts of People will grow cold, the Bible said. They just, the love that should be natural amongst people, especially to those that they love and are attached to, their children will even grow cold. And we see that demonstrated here. And it, it's, it's appalling to read in the Bible. I think it is. You know, and, and God's not condoning it. He's not saying it's good. He's just saying how, showing us how bad it is. 
And, you know, we read this, and I get a little upset. I get a little appalled by this. I'm drawn back. I can just say kind of, wow. I just can't believe it could just happen there, you know. But then I start thinking how many children are exposed to the same kind of, you know, sexual uh, corruption um, today in, in movies and television. Uh, you, you know, this same kind of stuff is is stuff that people pay money to be entertained by. You know, I try to express that in my family. I, I, I tell them, I, I, I refuse for us to be entertained by something that is wrong, something that's evil. I, 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 I it's it, we can't be entertained by stuff. That, that's just like this, that's going on in, in different shades and different ways, and they talk about things a little bit different, and it's all dressed up kind of fun and nice maybe, but it's the same kind of thing. We just got to be careful what our eyes see and what we allow those that we love to see, uh, you, you know, and putting that stuff in their minds, and it just, it just causes, you know, uh, stuff in our flesh just to get all twisted and then you can't get it once it's in there you can't get it out i mean how many of us guys people uh, you know remember stuff that you saw when you were you know a young teenager and you can remember that stuff it just doesn't leave and so therefore we don't want to put it in there to begin with and you read about this and you go whoa but then you think man almost every movie and tv show has something deviant or evil or weird or something that's very contrary to god and so what this guy does, though, when he, you know, obviously when she gets back on the desk, and uh, the desk, he gets back to the house and her hand's kind of there, you know, he realizes, get up, let's go. What a loving guy, huh? Uh, you know, and, and the guy offering there, but he realizes, okay, she's dead. And so he puts her body on the donkey and he gets back to his place and then he cuts her up and sends pieces to all the other groups of people saying, what do you think about this? You know, a hand over here, a leg over there, uh, uh, her head over here. Uh, I don't know how he did it all, but, you know, uh, what, what they used to do and what we'll read coming up is that a lot of times to get people's attention for war, they would cut up an animal and do that. You know, they would cut up a bull or something and send the parts. And the idea is, hey, you know, there's no telephones, there's no Internet, they can't email, can't, you know, make a phone call and get people, you know, text them and post it so they can all get there. They have to send out messengers, and so they send out the shock value, if you would. Like, whoa, I, we've never seen anybody have a human body part come our way. What's going on here? There must be something going on. And so that's what they do. He sends that out kind of for, for um, you know, that shock value. And again, you know, it just today we just... You know, you see how evil the people are coming to the house and really how evil the people in the house are to, to sacrifice uh, those that they're supposed to be close to. And it just shows how out of whack a society gets when they leave the things of the Lord behind them and they just do whatever they think is good. They set up their own standards of morality. And when that happens... The society is doomed. You know, it's like today, I don't know about you, have you read that story in the paper or caught on the news about, you know, it so, happens so often, sometimes I just skip them, but there was this, you know, a group of people in some city in Afghanistan, and they were all gathering together to kind of protest, I, I, I think, um, you know, a police chief that was kind of corrupted, 
And, you know, he was in power and they were trying to, you know, get rid of him and, and they didn't like it. So there was a bunch that kind of were protesting. It wasn't anything bad. It seemed like a good kind of a protest to me from what I understood. And, and, and here's this guy comes in with this bomb strapped on his vest and he killed all those people. I mean, he was just looking for a crowd to, you know, to blow himself up so he could take out as many people as he possibly could. He just was waiting for enough people to gather that he could just kill people. Now, you could say, well, Afghanistan, you know, they really have never been a godly nation, right? They don't know the Lord uh, in any way, which, you know, I would tend to agree with. Um, But yet we know better, and yet we have forsaken the things of the Lord as a a nation. How do you think that's going to go? Did you read that other article, maybe you caught it, about that Texas football high school football stadium, and, uh, you know, uh, somebody, a a local gym owner wanted to support it, and, you know, they usually put up the the name of the business to support, that that, that supported them, he gave money. And so they painted the end zone, and it was called Christ's, I think, gym. And they had a verse from, I think, 1 Timothy or something along the bottom. So they painted the, the end zone with Christ's gym and the little logo they had, and but the school just, you know, some... um, group sued them, you know, wasn't anybody local, some, you know, crazy, because they couldn't, you know, bring religion into the high school, and so they had to go out there and cut out the name of Christ out of there, uh, only because it was showing some religious preference, this group, you know, sued them to do that. They, They had to get rid of Christ. And again, we can just see all this happening in our society, everybody doing their own thing, uh, you know, everybody has said about this, just to stay tuned. You know, we've, we've moved God completely out of everything in society, and he's not allowed in, and we've set up our own morality standards. We can't expect anything less to continue to happen in our society than what was going on in their society in, their, in those days. It's just the way of things. Well, let's find out what happens as he sends all those body parts out. And so verse 1 of chapter 20 says, So all the children of Israel uh, came out from Dan to Beersheba, as well as from the land of Gilead. And the congregation gathered together as one man before the Lord in Mizpah. And that's where they had set up um, their the worship of the Lord. So they're in Mizpah. Uh, it's not on this map, but it's up where Ephraim. Actually... It's right here. I'm sorry, it is on this map. It's right down here. So here she's from uh, Benjamin's, or um, here's Jerusalem, and Bethlehem is down here. So it's right here, and this is where the um, the tabernacle is. They all kind of gather together, and the leaders of all the people, all the tribes of Israel, presented themselves in the assembly of of the people of God, 400,000 foot soldiers who drew the sword. Now, the children of Benjamin had heard that the children of Israel had gone up to Mizpah. So the parts went out to everybody but the Benjamites, who that city uh, uh, was part of the Benjamites, remember? So everybody else there. So they get 480,000 people came out. Um, Then the children of Israel said, tell us, how uh, did this wicked deed happen? So, okay, you got our attention. You know, there's a half a million soldiers showed up as a result of you sending these parts out. What's going on? So the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, My concubine and I were in Gibeah, 
uh, which belongs to Benjamin, to spend the night. And the men of Gibeah arose against me and surrounded the house at night because of me. They intended to kill me, but instead they ravished my concubine so that she died. So I took hold of my concubine, cut her into pieces, and sent her uh, throughout all the territory of the inheritance of Israel because they committed lewdness and outrage in Israel. Um, look, all you, uh, look, all of you, you are children of Israel. Give your advice and counsel here and now. And, and so, again, you know, well, tell us what's going on. And he kind of really didn't really give you the whole story. He kind of repeats it, lefts out some details. And it seems to... Uh, seems to me that he's making himself look a little better than he did. <laughs> yeah, I sacrificed her because I didn't want to get, you know, raped by those guys to death. And, um, you know, kind of seems to make better sense to him. He gives him that story. And so as a result, verse 8, the people arose as one man saying, None of us will go to his tent, nor will any turn back to his house. But now this is the thing which we will do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lot. We will take ten out of every hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, a hundred out of every thousand, a thousand out of every ten thousand, to make provisions for the people, that when they come to Gibeah and Benjamin, they may repay all the vileness that they have done in Israel. So all the men of Israel gathered against the city, united as one man. So you notice they've already decided what they were going to do. They've already made a decision. And they realized they didn't need a half a million people because it's just one city. So they said, let's just take a tenth of everybody that is here. So let's take about 48,000 guys. We have 480,000 guys. Or if you want to round it up, you know, 50,000. We had a half a million, 500,000. So let's just give those, you know, about 50,000 guys or 48,000 guys some provision. And the rest of the people can go home because they don't all need to be here. And they'll deal with it. Okay, we'll take you know, that 10% of the people that, that, you know, were up there and they supplied them. And then verse 12 says, the tribes of, uh, Then the tribes of Israel sent men throughout all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What is this wickedness that has occurred among you? Now therefore deliver up the men, the perverted men who are in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and remove this evil from Israel. Because remember the Lord told them, if, if there's a murder that's committed there, and you guys don't deal with it, it affects everybody. If this sin happens over here, it affects, the, it affects the whole nation. You know, the Lord told them that. And the church is the same way. You know, when one person sin, it affects, it affects all of us. We're all connected. You know, when, when we're, we're a body. You know, when you stub your, your toe on the chair walking out of here, you know, it doesn't, oh, it's just my toes hurting. You know, you feel it through your whole body, right? It's, it's kind of like, oh, and you're limping and you're thinking about it. It, it. You know, your toe's the one that got hit, but it affects you everywhere, if you would. And, and that's what the Lord said as a, to them as a nation. They were to deal with it, and, and, and that's what they're doing, although not that they're without sin, to say the least. But that, that's what they're doing here. And so they kind of basically offer hey, you guys deliver them up, we'll take care of it. We don't have to you know, involve anybody else, just the ones that need to be dealt with, punished for the crime, so to speak. Um, let's see, verse 14 says, instead, of the, instead, the children of Benjamin gathered together from their cities to Gibeah to go to battle against the children of Israel. And from their, their cities at the time, the children of Benjamin numbered 26,000 men who drew the sword besides the inhabitants of Gibeah. 
who numbered 700 select men. Among all this people, there were 700 select men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. In other words, these guys were the sharpshooters or the um, snipers. What do you call that? Sniper guys. What's that? Marksmen, yeah, <laughs> marksmen. These were the guys that could hit, you know, you know, they were amazing soldiers. Let's put it that way. They were like the special forces, maybe, and they could sling a stone like a marksman. Now, besides Benjamin, the men of Israel numbered 400,000 men who drew the sword, all of these men of war. So, again, they first try this diplomatic approach, asking the people of the city, you know, just to be punished because they're the ones that did it. But Benjamin wouldn't do it. They wanted to defend those people in that city. They would rather defend those who should have been punished. And it's going to cause great problems for all of them. Um, You know, it's just a good warning for us as well. Be careful you don't find yourself defending something that is wrong or someone that's doing wrong or is wrong just because our emotions, um, and they could put us on the wrong side of what's right. You need to be careful sometimes. Well, that's my friend. That's my sister. That's my cousin. That's my coworker. And you know you have this linking to them, but you, you know that you know, you're defending something that's not right. You just be careful as Christians that we don't do that. Uh, you find yourself on the wrong side of the things of the Lord because the Lord is just. And, and um, you know, we can't allow our emotions to dictate and defend somebody um, uh, just because we have an emotional connection with them. And that's what these guys are doing. And uh, they were some awesome fighters, special forces, so they, they weren't anybody to trifle, trifle with. And so they figured, you know, hey, you pick on them, you pick on all of us. Well, you can imagine where this is going to lead now. (laughs) Let's read it. When the children of Israel rose and went to the house of God to inquire of God, and they said, which one of us should go up to battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah first. So the children of Israel rose in the morning and camped against Gibeah, and the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves in battle array to fight against them at Gibeah. And the children of Benjamin came out of Gibeah on that day and cut down to the ground 22,000 men of the Israelites. And the people, that is, the men of Israel, encouraged themselves again and formed the battle line at the place where they had put themselves in array on the first day. Then the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening and asked counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall we draw near for the battle against the children of my brother Benjamin? And the Lord said, go up against them. So the children of Israel approached the children of Benjamin on the second day. And Benjamin went out against them from Gibeah on the second day and cut them down to the ground, 18,000 more of the children of Israel, all who drew the sword. That all the children of Israel, that is, all the people went up and came to the house of God and wept. And they sat before the Lord and fasted that day until evening And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas and the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it 
in those days, saying, Shall I yet go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. Now, what happened here? You know, we have all the information, and really, uh, I mean, we have just this information, and really, I you got to put this one in, Lord, I need more information file. Why did the Lord allow 40,000 people of Israel to die fighting Benjamin and let Benjamin win now for two days? The answer is really not given to us there. Now, we can kind of maybe surmise some things. And, uh, you know... uh, one of the things is they, they came up at first, remember, before the Lord, uh, it was kind of a multiple choice question. Which one do you want us to go first? Who do you want to lead into battle? That's the first thing they asked the Lord. There wasn't of, should we go to battle first? Lord, what do you want to do first? There was kind of like, Lord, here you can choose which one. Uh, here's your choices. Which one do you choose? God, it's either this one or this one. And that's always a mistake. You know, we should never go to the Lord, hey, Lord, you know, what do you want me to do, this or this, or that or that, or whatever. It's always a mistake because we should never limit God. Um, why limit the limitless? You know, uh, what insight can the Lord really offer when we just give him this multiple choice answer? Here's your cho- choices, Lord. You pick one and I'll, I'll do it. Again, um, it's better to say, Lord, what do you want? Lord, I'm here. You lead me uh, to wherever you would have me to do. <laughs> you know, and they didn't do that. They asked who should fight first. And, and then they go back again and say, okay, now should we fight? You know, they kind of ask him that second. And, and then the Lord, you know, says yes, but um, 40,000 have died. And after that, now they're coming very humbly before the Lord open, offering, you know, offerings for their own sins. Now they're coming humbly and, uh, you know, taking care of their own sins first, because let's face it, you know, the rest of the nation, you know, was doing things very similar. And maybe the Lord was allowing, you know, uh, again, they were unrighteous as the people that they were fighting. Uh, yeah, there wasn't one event that they could rally around, but basically it was going on in the cities around them. And again, I, I think we can learn, you know, all too often we're ready to take care of something and run ahead into disaster when we should be seeking the Lord and waiting for his leading and realizing by his grace, there go I. A good way to approach the battle sometimes we, you know, feel like we face there. Uh, you know, rather than take care of it and Lord, okay, be with me as I do this. <laughs> it's like, no, no, Lord, uh, what would you have me to do? I'm waiting for your leading, and I realize I need to enter this very humbly, because it's only by your grace. There go I. These guys are going into battle, and they're very unrighteous themselves. Well, the rest of it, verses 29 through the rest of the chapter, just pretty much. Uh, because I, I took a little too long in chapter 19 here, they, um, they basically now have this great victory against them. They set up this trap. They you know, have this trap. They kind of 
pretend like they're getting defeated. They lure him out of the city. Now they go in from the sides. Now they set this trap up. And uh, verse 26, I'm sorry, verse 46, if you want to just float your eyes down there, chapter 20, verse 46. So all who fell of Benjamin that day were 25,000 men who drew the sword. All these were men of valor, valor. But 600 men turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of, of Ramon. And they stayed at the rock of Ramon for four months. And the men of Israel, notice this, turned back against the children of Benjamin and struck them down with the edge of the sword. From every city, men and beasts, all who were found, they also set fire to all the cities they came to. So not only do they have the victory, but then as they're heading back, because, you know, they're chasing these guys as they're running away, as they're, they're getting defeated, um, 600 people, uh, 600 guys make it up to this kind of place up in the mountains and hide in this rock. And they're up there for a while. And as they're heading back, now they're just killing everything. I mean, they're killing. If they see a town, they're going in there and killing everybody they see, even the animals. And then they set the town on fire as they're going back. I mean, they have the victory here. But, you know, they just all this brutality and killing and burning and, and this rage they have. And, you know, probably because 40,000 of them died. And I'm sure a lot of them were very upset with that, but, you know, they just go in this brutal killing spree on the way back. It just tells you what they were like as well. And let's finish it up here in, verse, in chapter 21. Now the men of Israel had sworn an oath in Mizpah, and again, that's where the tabernacle was, saying, none of us shall give his daughter to Benjamin as a wife. Then the people came to the, to the house of God and remained there before God till evening. They lifted up their voices and wept bitterly and said, O Lord, God of Israel, why has this come to pass in Israel that today there should be one tribe missing in Israel? So it was on the next morning that all the people arose early and built an altar there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So when they kind of settled down a little bit after the brutality of the fight, they realized, you know, we could be talking about the 11 tribes of the children of, of this one man named Israel, you know, the 11 sons. There could be only 11 groups of people instead of 12. And all of a sudden they realize the brutality that has happened on both sides here. You know, a group willing to fight to the death to defend people they never should have defended. Another group out of rage and anger goes on this destructive vengeance, you know, fuel, fuel this bloodbath as they're just, you know, heading back after they fought the people. And then some people made, or the people made this oath before the Lord that the Lord never intended, that, hey, we're never going to let any of our daughters marry them. And again, how foolish, making these vows. Remember Jephthah did that? We read that a few weeks ago, one of the judges, about his daughter. Again, it's trying to persuade God to do something for us. You know, Lord, I, I, I promise I'll do this if you just do that. Now, I know a lot of us have done that all too often in our lives, but, you know, as we mature in the Lord, that shouldn't be part of it. You know, if we feel like we have to promise something to God to get something, we probably shouldn't be asking for it anyway. <laughs> Just keep that in mind. If you have to promise God that for him to do something, if he does that, that's probably not what you should be after, whatever it might be. Oh, but you don't realize... It's never a good thing. Listen, the Lord never withholds anything good for us. That's what his promise is. 
If he's withholding something, either it's the wrong time or it's not going to be good for us. We can't maybe see that now. They didn't see it. They were doing it in their anger or we might be doing it in our desire. It doesn't matter from whichever way it comes. It never works out good. And we'll see how crazy all these people are because they're not allowing the Lord in their lives what they'll do. Verse 5, the children of Israel who were among all the tribes of Israel did not come to the assembly of the Lord. So they're like, okay, we can't let our daughters be married. Maybe there's a group of people that didn't come when we called everybody. You know, when that big group came we read about, maybe there was somebody that didn't show up. And we can get wives for these guys so that they, that they don't die out, right? They don't have any children, and that's the end of them. For they had made an oath concerning, again, another oath that they did, that anyone who did not come up to the, uh, to the Lord at Mizpah saying, he shall surely be put to death. So basically, the word went out through the nation. Listen, either, you need to show up. You can't just, this is so bad, you need to show up. You can't just ignore this. And if you do, you know, you're, you're going to die. So that's another oath that they made. And the children of Israel grieved for Benjamin, their brother, and said, Oh, one, said, one tribe is cut off from Israel today. What shall we do for wives of those who remain, seeing that we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them uh, our daughters as wives. And they said, well, there is one from the tribe of Israel who did not come up to Mizpah from the Lord. And in fact, no one had come to the camp from Jabesh Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were counted, indeed, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead was there. So the congregation sent out 12,000 of their most valiant men and commanded them saying, go strike. Now notice, what their solution is to this, you guys. This just tells you the heart of the people. Go strike the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword, including the women and the children, and, that, and this is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every male and every woman who has known a man intimately. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man intimately, and they brought them to the camp in Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Now, if things weren't bad enough, they say, oh, these guys didn't come. Well, we said anybody who didn't come deserves death. Okay, let's get the crack soldiers out here, the special forces, send them over there. You kill everything that breathes except for, uh, you know, uh, any, any gals that are, you know, have never been with a man that, that you know, can be married off. You know, you, you, you save those. <laughs> Does it tell you how, how bad it was in the nation there? You know, they, uh, they kill everyone and take all the gals who are virgins. And, and again, it's just absolute madness in my opinion, killing young and old men, women and children because they didn't go to battle against Gibeah. Now, on the other side of the coin, why didn't they come? I mean, they got a body part delivered to them and it didn't cause any outrage to them, obviously. Maybe they had the attitude is, uh, you know, everybody's got their own way of doing things. Live and let live. You know, peace out. Uh, you know, uh, and so if they want to rape people to come to visit, well, you know, that's just what they want to do. What's wrong with that? I mean, they didn't come for a reason, and it was pretty horrific, and yet maybe because, you know, to them, it was, hey, well, if it feels right to them, let them do it. You know, why should I you know, say anything. Who am I to make my opinion there? And, and, and again, it's just 
the way people get when the Lord is out of their lives. Just, you know, I, I was talking to the, to the children the other day. You know, I, I said, you know, this country is falling apart. It is not the nation that I grew up in. There is these factions and people, you know, are divided against the other. There's, there's really no more coming together. We're not Americans. We are now people with our own beliefs, and we hang around those people with our own political ideas and agendas. And, you know, I'm for Bernie, and I want everything to be socialism, or I'm this, or I'm that, or I'm over here, or whatever it is, you know. And, and, he's, and there's no coming together. And we're, we're very divided, and America's changed, and I believe it will never be the same again. We'll just... We'll just be fighting with ourselves that we just won't have any impact in this world, I believe, sadly. At least that's what I kind of see. Well, verse 13, Then the whole congregation sent word to the children of Benjamin who were at this rock and announced peace to them. And uh, so in other words, they went up to the guys. Let me just kind of summarize this so we can finish this up. And they uh, said... um, you know, hey guys, we have uh, some some women. Let's make peace. Come out of the rocks. We'll get you some wives so that you know you can have children and 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 the group can grow again. This family can grow again. But the problem is they only have uh, 400 gals and they have 600 men up there. So verse 19 says, uh, "Well, how? What's the solution? Well, here's the solution. In fact, there is a yearly feast to the Lord in Shiloh." which is north of Bethel on the east side of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem on south of uh, Lebanon. Uh, Therefore they instruct the children of Benjamin, saying, Go lie in wait in the vineyards and watch. And just when the daughters of Shiloh come out to perform their dances, they come out to the, uh, from the vineyards, and every man catch a wife for himself from the daughters of Shiloh and then go to the land of Benjamin. And it shall be when their fathers or brothers come to complain to us, we'll say, we'll Be kind uh, to them for our sakes, because we did not take a wife for any of them in the war, for it is not as though you have given the women at this time, making yourselves guilty of your oath. And so in other words, they said, okay, we got an idea. There's a, there's a big festival to the Lord out there. And, and, the, and the young girls who are getting close to marrying age, they're, they're going to be dancing around, do the thing. So you hide in the vineyards, and when you see them kind of dancing, you just run, grab one, and then head, head, you know, head home and take it, and she'll be your wife. And when the people complain, we'll say, well, you know, you gave an oath that you wouldn't allow your daughter to marry, but you're not really breaking your oath because they took it without you saying it was okay. I mean, did you expect it to get any better, guys, <laughs> reading how bad it is? So technically, you didn't break your word or your vow, but, you know, we're, we're getting the extra 200 gals that we need to, to, you know, to get them married and to have more children to build up the tribe again. And, and this is the last verse here, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And finally, we see why all this craziness is happening. People are just doing whatever they think is right. And let us be reminded that will always be the result of a society that does such things. You know, even uh, evil and wicked things will seem okay and justifiable when there is no standard, when there is no word of God applied in people's lives. It's just whatever you feel is right or wrong becomes now the standard, and therefore the word of God and what the Lord says just goes out the window. And if you disagree with it, you, you think, well, that's not right, or I just don't believe that. I believe certain things in the Bible, but there's certain things. And then this becomes valueless. It's just some other book. You might as well just 
you know, throw it on the bookshelf and just live it up there and collect dust because it doesn't have any value. And, of course, people have left this <laughs> a long time ago, and, and the result is, you know, they just live life according to whatever they feel, and we see the result of that here in a little small microchasm in the nation of Israel. And that ends the book of Judges. Let's pray. Father, you know, it kind of ends on a down note, although next time we'll be with Ruth, and that will be a a bright spot. Um, But, um, Lord, we thank you for the warnings that you give us as well. We, We need the encouragement, and we enjoy the things that lift us up and bless us. But, Lord, we also need the reminders that um, we need to make your word and who you are and what you've said the standard in our lives. And the world's going in a different direction. And, um, Lord, we can't get caught up in that flow because, well, we just frankly see where it leads to all sorts of just madness. It's just crazy thoughts and ways of doing things and thinking that are just, you know, when we read it, we just go, what are they thinking? And, And yet... You know, it's not that much different today in very similar ways with the same kind of thinking of people that do what's right in their own eyes. Lord, we can't be those people. Um, we, we need to show that, that following you is, is the greatest thing. It sets us free. It gives us joy and peace and love and understanding and insight and, and uh, you, you know, uh, that newness of life we're not a slave to our emotions and feelings and our desires anymore and uh and we receive your love and your promises and your leading and your guiding and your spirit dwelling in our hearts so help us to be people father that 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 resist those temptations to just do what we feel and what we think is right rather lord that we go to you and do what you say is right and what you'd have us to think, and not allow the influences of the world to move us in a place where we'll end up doing crazy things like these guys. And uh, Lord, help us, and uh, help us to sound brightly, because the world is pushing us and puts a lot of pressure on us to conform into what they think is right. And if we don't stand with that, then we're really put down. Lord, it was completely evil and wrong that somebody lit a fire and kind of burned the siding of the um, uh, uh, abortion clinic there in Green Valley, the Planned Parenthood. But I just find it amazing that the FBI and the D uh, alcohol firearms, tobacco, federal agents and all these other agencies are offering a $10,000 reward. It was wrong. Should have never lit a fire, but just burned some siding on a building. And, and um, you know, just misguided person for sure and wrong. No, not defending that at all, but I just feel how up in arms that people get over something like that. If some homeless person did it, nobody would care, but, um, you know, someplace else. But uh, you can see, Lord, how the society in this world is moving. And uh, help us not to get caught up or pressured into, uh, you know, just doing what others do. That we'd stand up for you, Lord, in a fallen world. Strengthen us and help us, Father. We know that you'll give us what we need when we need it. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.